1: Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Let's talk a little bit on some author stuff. So before we get going on our topic, when you're writing, what do you use to write? Do you have any special software or services that you like?
0: No, my... my... Now, I just use Microsoft Word. I started using that about 20, 30 years ago, and uh, when it came out, and it got better. Yippee. Yeah, yeah. But my first books were all, and my first four books were written on a yellow notepad, I, and I hired people to type them, or in, in one case, the office uh, administrative assistant typed it. But on my other books, uh, handwritten, data charts, everything, and She was an amazing typist.
1: Nice. Okay. And I was thinking while you were talking, biking every day, have you ever looked into or thought about text or a voice to text that you could talk and record it and something like that?
0: Yes, I have. I've never done it. I have actually had a little phone recorder and I've done a few little clips, like clip notes on my phone. But... It it can maybe help some writers do it. It wasn't my choice. I would rather have a spreadsheet and fill in some data, which helps remind you where you've been, how fast you went that day, where the wind was from, things like that, to refresh your memory for the stories uh, rather than actually talking into a recorder. Another thing on the trip, like if somebody's going to write a travelogue, our daughter and others suggested, suggested a little camera on my bike or helmet that I could actually record. And yes, had I planned on doing a video afterwards, it would have been yeah, way more clips to go through. But I just used my cell phone and I traveled along. So some of the pictures were obviously blurry. You cut that out. And uh, that's why you maybe only have two or three seconds to put in a YouTube video. And so that was my what's neat about things today is your cell phone has a date, time, reference, date, time, and location. And so if you're writing and you've done a travel log like this you have a date you have a time that you did it you have the location and so that puts you in a you as a writer back in time visualizing what actually happened that day and you can explain yourself i think far better by having those artificial memories as i call it in my book culture
1: yeah it is kind of scary sometimes that literally if you just have your cell phone, how many things you can do? Absolutely. You go back to the 90s, the 80s. You didn't have, you know, the kids don't get it. But you got your cell phone. I can take pictures. I can take videos. I can record my voice. I can see what day it is, where I am on GPS. I could write on it. I can communicate with people all on this little device.
0: And some of the real practical things, yeah, talking to somebody on the phone where we used to have to pay a minute for long-distance calls. Now we call U.S., Canada, Mexico for a monthly fee.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and the talk I mentioned, I, I get parents occasionally pushing back that, oh, these things in technology, they won't last or they're fads or this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, maybe a few of them, but I said some of this stuff is just not going away. And I say, so let me ask you this. When was the last time you picked up the phone and asked the operator to connect you? <laughs> you know?
0: And, and and most people, most younger people under 30 would not understand that concept. That's too antiquated for them. And so that's why in my books related to ancients, I start with the day my grandfather was born, June 30th, 1891. There was limited inoculations just became available or vaccines wouldn't even call that then. Of course, there was no electronics or telephones or planes or vehicles. And so he lived with us until he passed away in 1976 because he was disabled. But he had a lot of the stories about the ancients and things that I could relate several thousand years ago back to Aristotle because they didn't change a whole lot. You still rode a horse. You still walk. These are technologies that really 20th century changed things, and especially late 20th century. That's why relating to ancients... Learning as it influenced the 21st century. So much happened in the 20th that will influence the 20th century. And uh, it, it's important. The other thing I mentioned early on about, this is for authors, dits and dots in Morse code, it makes a difference whether it's a dot or a dit, and especially when you're trying to communicate that way, as we did with Morse code. And so when you write, pay attention to each of parentheses, each it and that, it, it makes a difference on the context. And if you're used to using text and communicating that way, you maybe are writing in snippets and not really getting your thoughts across long-term of what you're really trying to say, the feelings you're trying to express. And when you can misplace an apostrophe, and it's often done, and it, it changes from plural to uh, singular, you know, things like that.
1: And it draws people out of reading sometimes. That-
0: Especially if they're used to reading written literature and you got punctuation in the wrong place, you go, oh man, why am I going to ever read somebody a book by that person?
1: It's funny too. You mentioned the Morse code and I was just thinking, that's another app I probably can get on the phone that would flash it in Morse code or tell you the sequences.
0: I'm sure there is. I haven't looked for it. I I haven't used Morse code for 50 years. Right. But back then, for example, I was in the military. And so we didn't have, and I learned to type in high school on a manual typewriter. Me too. In the military, it was manual. And I got up to what, 52 words a minute translating Morse code. Wow. Somehow into my fingers on a manual typewriter and people could read what I was being communicated. And so your mind is amazing if you've trained it the right
1: way. Yeah, And that's. I wasn't in the military, but I was in scouts. So we learned Morris, we learned semaphore, we learned all our knots. And I can still, I repeated that so many times. I can still do it. I can tie knots behind my back 30 yeah. some years later.
0: It's a memory. Her daughter hurt her hand in a car accident and was had a, basically immobile for weeks. And she had to train. Her hand to even hold a glass and things like that, but when she was able to go back to the keyboard, type, type, her fingers moved the keys without thinking because it's, right. it was ingrained enough in her memory that it allowed her to hit the keys the right way. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we talked about the the talk, to speech, the speech to text. Like you, I remember typing and having to type, and you have an error and having to fix that, and and now. Everything's so easy and automated.
0: Auto correct, and that's another thing for writers is be very careful with autocorrect because it can put the wrong word when you think you're typing. And this uh, any book that comes out, and that's why there's always second editions. It seems like because there's some error in there. And a minister was actually reading my book, Culture, and he gets down And I asked him how what he thought about. it. Oh, good, whatever. And we talk about it. And he goes, "You did have an error in there." You wrote, you meant edit, and he put edict. One, I go, it's just one letter. Yeah. And yeah, screw it up. And he didn't catch it. Like proofreaders didn't catch it. I read it. Who knows how many times didn't catch it.
1: And we were going to talk a little bit about lessons learned, learned through publishing, through writing. There's a lesson for anyone, because I like pro writing aid, but I don't just blanket, let it do whatever it wants. I've used it as a learning tool that yes. why is it telling me this should change? And does that sentence sound right? Does it sound better? Do I like it? So there's a lesson I would yes. pass on is Absolutely. don't take that or grammarly, or even your real life editor, though a real life editor, most of the time I would say you want to change what they recommend, but sometimes there's a reason you have a word. So that's my lesson yes. learned is don't just blanket, accept everything. Just, Use it, it as a learning tool.
0: And let's go with the editors. Of course, I did hire, in some cases, in my earlier work, my editors were like my administrative assistants, things like that. My books, Culture and Learning, were, were hired editors. Actually, there's two of them that worked on, on the books. But don't automatically accept what, they're, accept what they tell you because they are coming from a different Standpoint. And yes, they want to make it easy to read and they want to explain it. So really pay attention to what they're telling you. But don't automatically accept their changes. Over a period of 400 and some pages, it can change the context if you're trying to agree with them on everything. And so be very critical. Don't just hit uh, accept all changes on your Word document and I got that done it, because it's, it will change part of what you've got to say
1: yes and but don't and this is one of those things don't do this but don't do this other thing but don't think sometimes and that's
0: good it it makes you think why you put it there yes and if you put it there for the wrong reasons change it
1: but you got to be careful if i would just a word of advice if you're a new writer you're just writing one thing you've worked with an editor one time i've heard this too from some authors that editor didn't get me i didn't make any of the changes they suggested that's not a good idea either
0: (laughs) that's why they're an editor exactly they've done this more than you have that's especially a good professional editor as well as proofreader this is their job this is what they get paid for and when i was in agriculture i got paid to be almost most of the time and when i was wrong you have to work through with your editor why did i do it well, uh, you know, explain to me why you uh, did it that way and it's, it's it'll make you a better writer i think
1: yeah and i've had it, it, you have to have the experience so keep writing get more under your belt it makes a lot more sense
0: true another thing that i, I really want to caution writers and when you're my age you have a different Background and you're telling stories differently. And so you can, there's a couple of things. One is a term like you might say Oriental. That's, you should say Asian now. There's just things that an editor will pick up that uh, may be a racial or an ethnic uh, term that is not as appropriate now as it was 30 years ago. And uh, that's what a good editor will do. Maybe. Latin, comment
1: oh i was gonna say now there's people also specializing in sensitivity editors and politically correct editors and i hadn't
0: thought about that but unfortunately i had an editor that probably not probably did help me along those lines
1: yeah and it's for good or bad it's how the world is changing it's something to be aware fine.
0: of fine and if you're writing your books for somebody to read after you printed them hope to have those around. As I said, my books uh, published in 1989 and 90 in the agricultural world are the guide today. And so you want them to have some life. Maybe uh, one other thing that I should mention along the lines of recommendations is when you're hiring a proofreader, you pay them so much a word or whatever, but don't just accept a proofreader. I, uh, this is lesson learned. I probably read my book "Learning" for I don't know how many drafts, and I uh, had an editor go through it, a proofreader go through it, and then my book was supposed to go out I think on a Monday to the printers, and on Thursday I got the final back from the proofreader, and I go, I, I'm going to read through it. So it's 440 pages. So I, I start. I go, my God. Uh, 1882 was 1,822. I go. She changed and I realized over time that she probably disagreed with some of my premises and she sabotaged my book. I had to go through every date and time and number and make sure that it was in context. And one that I missed, I I proofread it critically. It made my book 10 days late to the printer. And I, on Monday morning, I get back to my book producer and I say, this is unacceptable. This is what happened. Here, here are some pages and examples that you know. File the Chicago Manual on style, and it is no way close to that manual. And so, I really think she sabotaged my book. And one thing I missed, for example, I, of course, I had a printout of my draft, and after I read the book, it would come from, you know, it was printed. I was proud of it and thought I'd caught everything. One thing I didn't catch is she changed 40-something to four. So somebody that's 40-something or something that's 40-something is not four. And so it reads wrong in the book. And it's an error I'll accept because I didn't catch it. But a proofreader screwed it up. And Any author cannot just rely on an editor, nor should they rely just on a proofreader because They can mess your book up big time and it can cost you tens of thousands of
1: dollars. And that's one of the benefits. It's a a, a little bit more work, but if you're independent and you control it and it's all yours, it's your responsibility. And you have that capability of saying, yeah, I don't accept any of this. I'm using this other. Whereas you go traditional and you're basically told, here's the editor and we're doing this cover. You don't have as much control, which I think is what a lot of independent authors like is that control.
0: It's control, but at the same time, be free. Don't be so restrictive that you think everything. Use outside sources.
1: Right. Absolutely. Whether it's
0: electronic, whether it's automated, whether it's a, a person actually reading and, and helping you. Yeah. Right. Uh, don't be afraid of, of looking for outside editors, proofreaders, uh, indexers, whatever.
1: Like Readsie is a great service to use for finding somebody. And the thing is, if you don't like who you get, you can get somebody else. Give a test. So what other lessons after seven books, what other lessons have you learned? Keep writing for
0: a recommendation to authors. That's why I'm working on a poetry book right now. And what I've been told is 85% of the poetry now is freestyle. Why? Well, most of my I do some, but most of mine are rhyme. I tell stories in rhyme. I guess if I use free verse, it's more of a philosophical poetry. And uh, there's stuff now that's called poetry that is just really prose, shrunk down into shorter lines. And whatever you write, whether it's poetry or whether it's patents or whether it's peer-reviewed research, just, just write and think through your processes. And uh, try to be as accurate as you can on the first draft, second draft, 10th draft.
1: I, I think I tried to write poetry. I think the only thing I could handle is coming off like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I
0: would, I'm well, sure. That's entertaining. And absolutely. Boy, if, you could, if you could do that, you're into the money.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Dr. Seuss. Or I, if I was going to do poetry, I would love to be as good as Shel Silverstein. He was fantastic.
0: Yes, there. I, and I just run across the other day, my mother passed away, and my mother had my grandmother's books. And so I found a poetry book, 101 favorite poems, published in the 1920s and given to her, my grandma by my great aunts before she was married in 1928. And so I read through some of the poetry from the 17th to the early 1900s and, or early 20th century. And it was really neat to study. I'll say poetry that my grandma accepted as a gift for Christmas in 1928.
1: Wow, that's pretty cool. So you said you had you had a book in '89, and now you've got a book in 2022. What are? That's a big difference because you didn't have the self-publishing the same. You didn't have Kindle. You didn't have the digital books. So what are some of the things that are different that you've had to change with your writing or change with your publishing or? That throughout
0: the year. One of the basic ones is I went from yellow notepad to uh, type. And back when the first computers come out, I go, oh, I'll just put my book, in so I could type. So I put my first book on disks. And then so I was changing floppy, floppy disk, and you had to do this to start the program. And then you added it. And my first uh, laptop, I think, was 286 or something. Oh, and I, I have my, a few photos now. Is more data than that 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 whole computer store, and so there's we tend to use up space. I'll say it in our phones and use up space in, in our computers. A big waste. In in book and in words, you want to use efficiency. Try to be more efficient, and I think I've gotten more efficient over time. Where now I type into my keyboard, and it has autocorrect, which I use. And things like that and so it's helped i'll call it speed the writing but also maybe it doesn't allow you to think through what you're actually putting down as well because if the faster you type the more errors you can make and maybe the less you're really thinking about what's happening
1: yeah i can see that and for those listening that don't understand floppy disks, that pulled a lot You couldn't put a whole movie, which you didn't even have digitally, because the resolution of the graphics couldn't handle digital movies. Way different time.
0: Way different time. Of course, when I went to college, university, it was the computer lab had punch cards. And so you had punch cards that you had to figure out how to punch and feed through a computer. And then that was really follow up, as I talk about in my books of the late 1800s, where a ginning machine punched in holes to make a certain weave pattern and things like that. And technology developed over time that it became now an automation keyboard, which the keyboard, and as I address in some of my books, the keyboard is laid out for keeping keys from crossing and getting stuck. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we're using the same inefficient layout of keyboard as we did 100 years ago, 120 years ago. It's crazy. That how we stick with technology, even though it's not the most efficient.
1: Right. Well, I, Like you, I took typing class. I don't know how easy it would be to totally change the keys and retrain myself typing. That's just way more work than I want. But to is it
0: really up to us to be retrained? I perhaps think it's the people entering the, the, the typing world, i call it typing or keyboarding world, when they're two and three and four years old and you start going into school It should be laid out for them so that it is the most efficient rather than teaching them the most inefficient, one of the most inefficient layouts of a keyboard. It's not, as I write about in learning, it's not set for even small hands, large hands. I have large hands and some of the keyboards are are too tight. And there's ways of making, as an inventor, there's ways of making things more efficient.
1: Yeah, agreed. And It definitely would have to take time because you're not going to get people our age wanting to necessarily learn a whole new keyboard layout. It's going to take time for the younger people to learn it, but they do it totally different. They use thumbs. I've seen people typing whole chapters just...
0: True. That's extremely inefficient. It's just people think texting is faster than Morse code, and it's not. Morse code is far more efficient than the fastest texters on a phone. And there's old technology that is extremely efficient. We, as older people, can learn and have learned. I've learned to use the electronic typewriter. I've learned to use, as you have, a cell phone and other things that we didn't have
1: 30, 40 years ago. True. True, But we do have options. That's, I guess, the ultimate great thing is you've got options. Like you said, you started with yellow legal pad and writing it out. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I could ever handle that. I type. Now we got kids that like, I have a phone. I never learned on a keyboard because I've had a phone since I was nine years old. And I've typed this way. That's what I'm used to. That's what I know. They're mm-hmm. going to be 50. And that's going to be the best way for them because that's how they learned and grew up. But there's options.
0: Yeah. There's also restrictions, meaning your phone has got uh, Two and a half by four inch screen, your eyes as you age are going to not be able to read <laughs> as many letters on that page as you, you did when you were maybe 15 years old.
1: Technology keeps changing. So we're thinking of it, it in won't. terms of everything it as won't. it is now, 20, it whatever. It's not going to be true either.
0: No, it, it will definitely change. And as I write in my book, Culture, efficiency always wins. Right? If you're using your thumbs, or typing on a, a book, it's probably not the most efficient way. And so over time you may want to, whatever the technology is developing, you may want to look for more efficient ways of uh, transcribing your thoughts.
1: Definitely. Gary, let me ask you another question I missed. For your, your your biking book, how are you marketing this?
0: Obviously, through my website, I have a New York book distributor, bookch.com, and they Distribute my books, uh, ebooks, as well as paperback and hardcovers. And uh, the daily orders, I'll say, and things like that are filled by them. Um, obviously, my books are on Amazon and, and uh, Barnes and Noble and all, the, all those types of services. But I find the I, I love interaction with people. And so I love to go to like farmers markets or book fairs where you actually meet people and, and sign your book and they have questions. and I sell actually a fair amount of books that way you have the interaction and uh, they see my book destination North pole and they get ready to leave and they buy culture and learning and leave destination North pole. I mean, on the table, I go,
1: I'll give you a better deal. If you get three of them. Right. Nice. And, and I think there's a lesson right there because I always hear authors. Well, should I buy Amazon ads? Should I buy Facebook ads? And, but I've heard from several authors now that have some of their best success going to the farmer's market, setting up a table or one lady that her local concert band, a community band plays, and she sets up a table and she's like, because my book is of interest to lots of different people. And there's a lot, they get, they see it, they get interested, they come up. And then when I'm at the park with my dog, they're like, Hey, I got your book. I read your book. And I told my neighbor. Sometimes that's what you really have to do and get started rather than what Amazon ad should I buy? It's the human factor.
0: Yes. The human factor. And there's things, lessons learned. There's an author, lessons learned. There's authors that'll come up to you. I had a lady, and I would guess she would be in her mid to late twenties. She said, yeah, I've written 15 bucks. And I go, good for you. But she says, oh, they're not like your books. Oh, tell me about it. And she writes Catholic short story books for very young children. And she says, I found a niche that is, it works for me. I, That's what I like to write. And I said, how do you market? And you learn things from other people that come up and talk to you that you wouldn't necessarily pick up I mean, you could probably find it on the internet, but just by taking out a Facebook ad, you're not going to learn them things.
1: Agreed. And that's the other great benefit with our publishing world today is uh, traditionally, there's a lot of books that would never have gotten picked up and produced and put into the market. Whereas independently, you can do that. Now, that's not to say every book is going to be a J.K. Rowling Harry Potter bestseller. It won't be. There's a market out there for just about everything. You just have to find them. And sometimes that means some creative marketing.
0: <laughs> creative marketing and don't be afraid of submitting. And I guess another lesson is don't be afraid of submitting your books to 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 awards. I won Global Book Award, actually took a silver in Destination North Pole for Global Book Awards for self-published authors. And I at the same time. Last year I submitted my books, Culture and Learning. And culture took third or bronze in historic studies. And learning took finalist, which is like fourth, finalist in education and reference. It's, it's like there are so many different categories out there. And my writings fit different, different genres and explore different ones. You as a writer might write fantasy fiction, but there may be, you may be actually finding you write better some other type of fiction or maybe even nonfiction and find a different genre. Don't be afraid to experiment that way.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Okay. Gary, I've had a really great time talking to you. I appreciate it. I loved listening to your stories about your trip. Before we go though, do you have any, uh, we've talked a whole lot, but do you have any last minute advice for authors?
0: Keep writing and don't replace your job, because even in your job, you're learning things for a paycheck. And if you think you're going to make a living writing and you're coming out of high school or college, find a different career also, because it's nice to have a supplemental income and be able to pay for your coffee while you're sitting there typing at night.
1: Agreed. Great. All right, well, Gary, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today.
0: Pre- appreciate it, Steve, for having me on. Uh-
1: thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe, sometime in the near future, it might be you.